you don't know me, my name's Gary, and uh, uh, happy to be filling in this morning for Mark. And uh, I, I kind of um, was a little surprised by something Mark said last week. Mark talked about what an excellent math student he was. And uh, I kind of wanted to, to call shenanigans on that. I, I really, I just picked, he's such a good communicator. And if you ever seen, have you ever seen Mark's printing? It looks like it's typed. Like he's, I, I just figured he was a language kid, not a math kid. And uh, so I was surprised by that. And I, I had the either the privilege or the misfortune, depending how you want to look at it, of, of covering a great grade 12 calculus class this week. So uh, we had a teacher who uh, was late coming in. And it was actually Thursday, but that was our first day of school for some of our grade 12s. And so I just had to cover the class. And I had no idea even how to explain the syllabus. And so I basically just ended up telling a few jokes and, and reading the dedication in the front of the math textbook. Do you know they do that? You write a math textbook, you get to dedicate it to somebody. I don't know if that's a gift or a blessing or what. But uh, that's basically all I did till they arrived. And because I always struggled with math for a simple reason, I always had what I was pretty sure was a right answer. But the teacher just never agreed. Um, but they, they never told me what was wrong with it. So I'll give you an example. You know, if you, you're driving from Edmonton to Toronto, and so you're driving that distance, and you're driving 140 kilometers an hour, and at the exact same moment someone leaves Toronto heading for Edmonton, driving 135 kilometers an hour, where will they meet? And my answer was always traffic court, because you'll get pulled over and arrested for speeding. And so, but that's not the right answer. But anyway, five minutes into the first day of class, uh, a gentleman walks in the classroom, and he's wearing a T-shirt that just simply said, Dear Math, Solve Your Own Problems. And I thought, that's pretty gutsy. First day of school, walking into your math class wearing that T-shirt. But uh, I couldn't agree more. But uh, I have an assignment for you, and luckily it's not a math assignment. You may notice if you're in the room, you've got some colored paper in front of you. And so if you want to designate somebody at every table, maybe to be the official toucher of the paper, you might want to do that. If you're at home, you can ignore everything we're going to talk about when I mention colors here, and you're just going to put things in order verbally. So I think the best way to explain it is just to give you, give you the first question. So here's the first question. I want you to put in order, from largest to smallest, these five circles. And so if you're at home, don't worry about the color coding. But if you're in the room, you'll realize that for each color here, you have an associated piece of paper in front of you. So uh, when you put them together, just remember that I'm looking from the other direction. So the first thing for you is going to be on your right, which would be my left. So whatever you think is the biggest, if you think it's the dartboard, then you start with the blue piece of paper. If you think it's a discus, you start with the green piece of paper. And just put them in order. You can either leave them on your table, just sort them. You can hold them up. I'm going to give you, I think I give, need to give you a fair amount of time, 20 seconds. 20 seconds seems fair. I'm going to give you 20 seconds. At home, you can just talk amongst yourself. If you're listening to this as an iPod uh, broadcast, it may be a little tricky, but you're putting in order from largest to smallest a hula hoop, a discus, a basketball, a dartboard, and the outer ring of an archery target. So let's give you guys a quick second. Quick second. There's no time to be polite and ask other people their opinion. You're just like, archery target, put it down there. Okay, five. You guys are really working hard on this. All right, you're out of time. Do it real quick, do it real quick. Here we go. The actual answers are this, archery targets. The outer ring of an archery target's about four feet. That's the biggest. Then comes a hula hoop. Then comes the basketball hoop, the dartboard, and the discus. So... Uh, I see a lot that are pretty close, but backwards. So keep in mind, I'm looking for the other direction. So if you think, whatever you think is biggest, you would have put on your right, which would be my left. So either some of you really don't know the difference between a discus and an archery target, or uh, you just did them backwards. So uh, you've got it now. Easy peasy. Let's do one more. Let's do another one. 
Uh, sort these sports based on when they were invented, from earliest to latest. So the first sport on this list that was invented, that's going on your right, so I see it as my left. So if you think baseball was the first sport invented, you're going to grab your um, purple sheet and you're going to put that first. At home, forget about the colors, just do it out loud. 20 seconds, here we go. Looks like three of them are easy and two of them are hard. Keep going, got a few more seconds, few more seconds. We got a lot of different answers on this one. You ready? You got it ready? I know, thinking in the morning, it's not fair. Here it is. Tennis was first. That was, it came about in the 12th century. Then golf, then baseball, then basketball, and then uh, volleyball. Perfect. That, that pink and purple is kind of close in here, isn't it? So I think I got a couple right answers here. Very good. Last one. Last one we're going to do. Sort these inventions by when they were created earliest, so the oldest invention is your first, my left, your right, and then all the way to the last one invented, the flushing toilet, escalators, Lego, zipper, and toasters. Go real quick, 20 seconds. Pretty good. All right, I think we're about done. Let's take a quick look. The flushing toilet was first back in 1589. Then escalators. The first escalators were steam-powered. I can't imagine stepping on that thing. Uh, then the zipper, then the toaster, then the Lego. That's pretty good. You guys are pretty good at this. All right, here's what I want you to do. Take the pink and purple sheet out. Just put it aside. One last question, but only three options. All right? I simply want you to put these three words in order based on how you think they kind of appear in the Christian walk. And I'm not going to give you any more details. And it would be very fair for you to put up your hand and say, and have a question for me. I'm not going to answer it. Just your gut reaction. Put these three things in order. Follow, obey, and believe. Again, whatever you think is first is on your right, my left, because this is the one I'm looking at. Oh, you're assuming there's a right answer. That's, uh, that's gutsy. All right. Every guy figured out? I see a lot of different answers, actually, and that's, that's kind of what I was hoping for because I think it's different. And so I'm no, I don't have a correct answer for you, but I, I would like to put forward a, a, a concept that maybe follow should be first. And I don't know about you. I'm going to put up, actually, I've, I've gone out of order, so Lily's quick here. She's keeping up with me. But I'd like to put forward this, this idea that this is how I came up in the Christian faith was actually with these three words, obey, believe, and follow. And most of you are right away like, that doesn't sound right. And I would agree, that doesn't sound right. So the, the idea for me, though, is I grew up kind of believing that God would love you more if you could follow the rules. That the reason the Bible, and it always seemed to me the Bible was basically an encyclopedia of what not to do. Uh, I always felt like that was basically this understanding of, of obeying was what God valued. And therefore, God would value the really good obeyers, and he would not value as much those who didn't obey. And then for me, following that with believe, I, I 
believe was something that happened when God would reveal himself to you, and that was a choice that you could make. You could choose to believe. And then finally, with follow, follow was something special for those really gung-ho in the group. Like, maybe you never get to follow. Follow is something you do if maybe if you want to become a missionary or a pastor or something. Like, if you were really excited about your faith, you might become something you would call a follower, or even we might just call that person a disciple. But uh, I want to kind of separate those two ideas today. And I just want to begin with the simple idea of what if Christian, your Christian walk was to begin with the concept of following? And, and you may think, does it matter? Um, and, and maybe it doesn't, to be honest, but I can tell you, as I'm going to share a little bit of my story later on, and for me, not understanding how God sees me is the biggest doubt I have in my life. I never doubt, is there a God? I never doubt, is there a God, and is he represented in the words of the Bible? I never have those sort of struggles. I never, you know, get, get upset with the idea of like, oh, there's, is God and science, con- do they conflict, things like that. I never had a problem with that. My doubt always came with a simple idea that I can't imagine the God of the universe could care about me. Because I'm, I'm a little guy, I, I mean pretty much nothing in the grand scheme of things, and I am not, or at least wasn't, maybe I'm still not, a very good obeyer. I would see people who seem to be able to kind of live that Christian lifestyle so much easier than me, and I really always saw God as someone who was just kind of shaking his head going, what is he doing? What is he doing now? Why is he doing that? Haven't I told him enough? Haven't I forgiven him enough? And that, that really shaped how I, I felt that God saw me. And so we're going we're gonna to leave that for now, and I'm just going to simply start by, by, by introducing the idea of following as our first step in the Christian faith. And what I really like to start with is just to, just to say that if, if, God, if Jesus came to become king of Israel, to become king, to become the leader, to become the Messiah, as so many people believed he did, I really think he was hanging out with the wrong people. I mean, to me, these are the sort of people he should have been hanging out with. You have the the Pharisees, the religious elite up in the upper left-hand corner. These were the guys whose job it was to know everything about God. And wouldn't you need their approval if you wanted to come and be known and seen as the Messiah? Wouldn't you need them to give you their approval so that people would believe what you were saying? Because they were trusted. The people believed those men had a direct pipeline to God, and so they were trusted by the people. And then you have the Romans on the right. The Romans were a conquering army. They weren't guests in Israel. They had conquered Israel. And so they were there as as the the unwanted uh, leadership group. So wouldn't you want the Romans to be on your side? Wouldn't you want the Romans to at least think that you had their um, best interests in mind? Wouldn't you want the Romans to believe that whatever you were going to do that you were going to do it to the benefit of Rome, because Rome wanted two things from Israel. They wanted taxes, and they wanted there to be no problems. That's all they wanted. They had no interest in, in the holy city or the religion that was going on there. And then finally, if you Google first century rich person, this picture pops up. I'm assuming it's the hat. The hat signifies that the guy on the left here is a rich man. But wouldn't you need the support of the rich? Wouldn't you need people with funds to support you as you tried to kind of create this change and and, and to eventually become the leader in Israel? Because I think if you had all three of these groups backing you, I think very soon you'd start seeing billboards like this popping up all along the major arteries in Israel. You know, every time you went out for a spin on your camel, you would see billboards like this. That's how you get in. That's how you take over. That's how you overthrow thousands of years of religious um, um, traditions and things like that. But, of course, we know that that's not the people that Jesus came, and, and that's not the people that he hung out with. Instead, he came and he hung out with the poor and the needy. 
and the powerless and the weak and the, and the persecuted and the sick. And then this special category, the sinners and the tax collectors. And, and uh, hanging out with these people was not going to get him in the position to overthrow the government or to be swept into power, if you will. But you see, Jesus didn't come to lead a rebellion. He didn't come to take over the government. He didn't come to bring us under his domination. Jesus came instead to bring us into a loving relationship with his Father. And the one thing that he didn't do is he didn't come simply to make us behave. That wasn't his goal. He came to show us God in a way that we could understand it. Because here's the thing we know, that when he came, he came at a time when following God was complicated. There was rule after rule, system after system, law after law, sacrifice after sacrifice. It was complicated, and people didn't really understand it. But Jesus came to simplify. He came to simply say, I want to show you who God the Father really is. And he did it in a very unique way. He decided to do it by teaching us the relationship between God and ourselves. And so uh, in John 1.18, it says this, No one has ever seen God but the unique one. Now that's Jesus. And it says, who himself is God. He's near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Let me give you a few other um, uh, versions of that, translations of that. In the NIV, it says, he made God known to us. In the contemporary, it says, he showed us what God is like. In the New King James Version, it says, he declared who he is. And finally, in the NASB, it said, he explained God to us so that we might understand. And it's rare where you can look at so many different translations, get so many different words that all perfectly mean the same thing. You see, the God of the Old Testament seemed far away. And what you knew was God was over there, and God was holy, and I'm not. And I might never have an interaction with God. And so uh, as we look through the Old Testament, we realize that very few people knew God. They just knew about God. And a good example would be Moses. So Moses was a man who, who knew God, who met God, who spoke directly with God. And at one point, God said, Moses, I want you to go tell your, the people in cap- tap- captivity that I'm going to bring them out of that. And Moses was like, okay, but who do I, what, what is your name? Like, what do I tell them? When I say God, what do I tell them your name is? And God replied by saying this, tell them my name is I am that I am. I don't know about you guys, but that kind of sounds like mind your own business. I mean, that's not a very helpful answer if I'm going to go. And then he actually clarifies in the next verse. He says, you can tell them to call me I am for short. Well, that's not a, that's not a personal connection. That's, that makes God seem far away. That makes God seem like he's not right next to me. And so uh, the, the Old Testament, we often can say it this way. The Old Testament was all about a relationship between God and his nation, between God and his people. Whereas the New Testament points towards a relationship between God and each individual person. And so when God came to explain the Father to us, sorry, when Jesus came to explain God the Father to us, what he did was he gave us examples of relationships. He gave us the example of a father to a son or a daughter. That's a relational example. He came and gave us the example of a shepherd and a sheep. That's a relational response. The vine and the branch and talked about abiding. He came and he talked about who God was in a relational way to us. And these all point to a relationship that people can easily understand. And we know that, uh, that really the, the, one of the best opportunities to see the heart of God was how Jesus treated Matthew. And Matthew, we, I don't want to go into this a great deal because I feel like we talk about this a lot, but uh, Matthew was a tax collector, and Matthew was seen as being one of the worst people out there. 
He was a traitor. He was helping Rome rip off the people of Israel. He, he, he was benefiting from this. And he was just seen as the worst of the worst. You didn't have to know Matthew. And this is key. You didn't have to know Matthew to know that you didn't like him. You didn't have to meet Matthew to know that you didn't want any part of Matthew. And I think that's a good reminder for some people who feel like, you know, I, I don't feel welcome in a church. I don't feel like I belong there. I don't feel like I'm connected to God. I feel there's a distance there. I feel like I'm kind of a bad person, or I might feel like I'm just not yet ready for church. But that's where we find Matthew. And Matthew's a tax collector, as I said, and, uh, and that doesn't mean nearly what it means today. I mean, if you work for the CRA, I'm sure you're an absolutely great person. God bless you. Uh, you're doing great work there. Actually, a few years ago, my, my dear wife, Candace, um, she decided not to include all of her income when she did her taxes. She didn't put all of her income down. And we got a phone call from the CRA, which we ignored because we figured it was a scam. Like, why is the CRA calling us? So we didn't even answer it. But they just sent us a letter. And I wish I'd kept it, but it was basically an apologetic letter that said, we're really sorry, but you've made a mistake. You haven't included part of your income, and we're going to have to redo your taxes. And they did it for me. We didn't have to redo it. They redid it, and they said, unfortunately, you're going to have to pay this amount, um, and we're going to give you 90 days to pay it. And if you need more time, just let us know. We can give you more time, too. I mean, this is tax evasion right? This, if you don't declare your income, that's tax evasion. Uh, you can go to jail for that. I mean, n- not if you're rich, but if you're a regular person, you can go to jail for that. My wife should have been carted off to prison, and it would have been a really uncomfortable when I went to visit her since I'm the one who did her taxes. But that's, that's the CRA. That's not being a tax collector 2,000 years ago. And so um, they just knew. Uh, let me just summarize it this way. I got so much I could tell you, but we, our time is always limited. Let me just say it this way. Matthew was loved by God and nobody else. And so we see Matthew, he would have actually been considered ceremonially unclean, so it would have been wrong for you just to hang out with him. If you actually had an interaction with Matthew, you should have went to the temple to be cleansed, because you would have been seen as just being dirty, because you hung out with him. Um, and, you know, and we often see this phrase where they actually put tax collectors in their own category. It's, it's repeatedly in the New Testament, including Matthew, who wrote it about himself years later. It will always say, sinners and tax collectors, because just calling a tax collector a sinner, it just wasn't enough. And so that's where we meet Matthew. In Matthew 9, 9, it says this, as Jesus went on from there, that's, uh, you'll have to read to know where he's coming from, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. So Matthew was not an official guy. He was like the lower level guy, and they would have booths all over the place. They'd have one in the market. If you bought food, you had to pay your taxes. If you wanted to cross a bridge, or, or use a dock, you'd have to pay a tax. There were dozens. There was a, something called a poll tax or a head tax, which meant if you existed, you had to pay a tax. The only thing they would never try to get away with was income tax. There was no such thing as income tax. But he sees Matthew sitting there, and he just simply says to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, when we say follow me, it's usually quite literal, right? If I say follow me, I'm not really calling you to dedicate your life to me. I'm probably saying, come over here. I want to show you something. If my wife grabs her car keys and says, follow me, I'm, I'm thinking we're going for ice cream. Like, I'm excited because I'm literally just going to follow her where she goes. And by the way, it's, it's never ice cream. But uh, this was an invitation from Jesus. This was an invitation to join a movement. And it, I guarantee you, as happy as Matthew was to receive that invitation, there were some other people who were really not happy. And it may not be who you think. It would have been his other disciples. Because his other disciples are feeling pretty good that they were chosen by Jesus. 
They were feeling pretty good that they were one of his disciples. And then they just witnessed this, Matthew, this guy that they literally would not have wanted to stand close to because he would have been made unclean. They would have looked at Matthew, and they must have said to themselves, what is he doing? This isn't how you take over. This isn't how you become king. This isn't how you get declared to be the Messiah. This isn't how you win people over. You want to be popular? Make fun of Matthew. You want to be popular? Insult him. But Jesus didn't do that. And, and, and this is important because Matthew was not what we sometimes call a mistaker, right? Sometimes we put people in categories, people who make mistakes, and then there's the real sinners, right? I would argue that's not a real category, but the mistaker is one thing. Matthew was an on-purpose sinner. And I think it's important to notice also what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, Matthew, change the way you live and then follow me. He doesn't say, Matthew, stop what you're doing and follow me. He doesn't say, start doing what you should have been doing this whole time, and follow me. He doesn't say, go to the temple and be cleansed so that you can follow me. He doesn't say, prove your support to me, or prove your love to me, and then follow me. He doesn't say, declare me to be king, and follow me. And he doesn't say, declare me to be your God, and follow me. There is no invitation to believe. There is an invitation to follow. And he just says, follow me, and he does. And I think he still says that to us today, simply a request to follow him. But there's no preconditions. There's just an invitation. And again, why Matthew? Because of all the people that Jesus could have spoke to that day, Matthew was the one guy that nobody might have thought, wow, maybe there's something special about him. If he had just said to a merchant, hey, leave your booth and follow me, people would be inclined to say, wow, there must be something special about that merchant. Maybe he's really uh, diligent at sacrificing at the temple. Maybe he's got an amazing prayer life. And they could have said that about anybody except Matthew. When it came to Matthew, they knew that it wasn't about Matthew. It was about Jesus. And so uh, as they left there, they actually decided to go to um, Matthew's house. And in the Gospel of Luke, it actually says they threw a party. Um, and what, what happens next is, is kind of interesting because I think it's fair at this point to say, I'm not sure who's following who because as soon as Jesus invites him to follow, they then followed Matthew to his house and, there was, and then they threw a party. And I don't know about you guys, but who do you invite to your parties? Well, can I start by saying you don't invite me? And, and I don't know why because I'm delightful. I really am. And so keep that in mind. But who do you invite to your parties? Your friends. Maybe your coworkers, people who kind of are like you, people you know, people you like. And that's exactly what Matthew did. He invited over a whole bunch of sinners and tax collectors. And as they assembled and as this party began to happen, actually, let's just take a look at it in the, uh, in the verse here. So Matthew 9, starting in verse 10, it says, Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. And again, in the Gospel of Luke, it refers to it as a party. And along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners... But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Well, that was a rough few minutes. In the course of about 10 seconds there, these people all got called scum and sick. And so I don't know if that kind of put them off the party, but it was a rough few minutes. But then he finishes in verse 13. He then says this. Then he added, now go. And this is key. These are the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders of the day. He begins by telling them, first of all, you should leave. And then he says, since you're going, here's what I want you to do. I want you to learn the meaning of this scripture. 
And when Jesus refers to Scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't really written yet, right? We know that the Gospels were written years later. The book of Acts was written years later. So when he says Scripture, he means the Old Testament. And here's the quote he quotes. He says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. And then Jesus said this, For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And that little piece of scripture that Jesus quotes is actually from the book of Hosea. Hosea is a, is a little piece of scripture, a prophecy that talks about the coming of Jesus. And it says this in verse 6-6. Six, six. It says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. That's the part that Jesus quoted. But the rest of the verse goes like this. I want you to know me more than I want your burnt offerings. Jesus says, I want you to go and learn what this means, that I'm more interested in you knowing me, knowing the Father, than I, am in any, than I am in any of that other stuff. You see, God wants us to know him above everything else. He wants mercy, not sacrifice. He wants to rescue. He doesn't want our routine. He wants redemption. He doesn't want ridicule. And so I want you, when I look at my life, I talked about how I began in a, in, a, in, a, in a faith relationship where obedience was what I thought was the key piece, was the starting point, that those things, those things that I tried so hard to be obedient to, those were like my burnt offerings. They were the things that I was bringing to God saying, look, I did it right today. And the whole time God was saying to me, I don't want that. I don't want to make you behave. I want you to know who I am. And this may sound hard to believe, but from age 18, when I first became a Christian, and for about 20 years, for 20 years, I lived that relationship where I was all about obedience. It was all about me proving to God that I was good enough. And God saying back to me, this doesn't matter to me. I want you to know me. I want you to follow me. I want you in relationship with me. And, I, and really, if you ask me, what is my biggest regret in my entire life? I wouldn't be able to tell you a moment, a decision, or, or, a, or a word I spoke. It will be 20 years of me thinking I was following Jesus and not realizing that I had no relationship with him at all. Really from age 18 to almost 40, I had no connection with God because I was so caught up in the idea of obedience. I was so caught up in the idea of proving to God that I was good enough, that I never pursued him. I never got to know him, and I never followed him really a step in the entire time. And, uh, and just as we close today, I mean, when we look at that quote, when we look at it, I want you to know me. I, I don't want your, your burnt offerings. I want you to know me. It really makes you realize that maybe Jesus should have been building billboards. Maybe he should have been putting billboards up across the entire, across the entire land, simply saying, it's not for the righteous. It's for the sinner. Because I tell you this, G, G, your sin isn't just welcome. It's not just allowed that you're a sinner. It's a requirement. If, if you had no sin in your life, you would have no need for this. That as, a sin, as being a sinner is a requirement. And God says, I don't, tax collector or just regular person on the street, your sin is your sin. And it just talks, God just talks to you about wanting a relationship with you, a closeness to, to you. And all throughout, Jesus keeps saying, just follow me. Just follow me. And I believe he still says that to us today, just asking us to take a step. And so, uh, you know, I wish, I wish when I was 18, I went to church to audit the course. You know what I mean? I wish I went there without having an idea of what was going on. I wish I just went in as a, as a person with no understanding and just listened to what was being taught and learned and followed. But instead, I arrived already thinking I knew what it meant to be a Christian. And when you follow Jesus, you're really allowing him to show you who God is. 
the real God, not the God that you might imagine, not the God that you think you know, but he'll show to you who the real God is. He'll show you the God of heaven and earth, and he'll show you how to have a relationship with him. Because it's really not all about what you're doing. It's really about who you're following. And so just this morning, just kind of three, three quick uh, notes to kind of send you out the door with is, first of all, if you're new to all of this, if this is kind of all new to you, you're just kind of stepping into church, and, and uh, I, I believe there are a lot of people throughout the time of COVID who have been checking out churches online rather anonymously, not having to kind of know that you're there. Uh, first of all, can I just welcome you and say we're, we, we love to be the church that unchurched people want to become a part of. That's actually our mission statement. That's what we would put up on our billboards. And uh, can we just say to you that there's a place for you here? And can I even just maybe take it a step further and say there's a place of honor for you here, that those who are followers, that's what we're looking for, people who are just interested in knowing who God is. It's not about what, what you believe, and it doesn't start there. It starts with you being willing to find out because it's really true that you don't begin, you don't begin your faith by knowing God. You begin your faith walk by being willing to find out who God is. And so for those people, we welcome you and just say, we just invite you to join us, invite you to continue coming, whether it's online or in the building. You're most welcome here. And for some of you, you've been following for a while and, and, you, and you've been really dedicated to it. And, and for you, I just say, we'll continue. But can I let you know that that puts you in a perfect position to be discipling others? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you are following in the footsteps of Jesus, can I let you know that other people are looking at you and following in your footsteps? Can you, be, can you be aware of that you're discipling people, maybe even if you don't know it? So would you step out? Would you have conversations? Would you do things that would allow people to see your relationship with God? Because if they can see it in you, they can better understand it for themselves. And finally, I would say, if you were like I was for a very, very long time, you've been involved with church for for years and years, maybe even decades, but you don't know where you stand with God. You don't know if you're in a relationship with God. Can I just let you know that it's not something you can't reverse. You can become a follower of Jesus right now. You can dedicate yourself to become a follower today. It doesn't have to be something where you missed your opportunity. If you're able to follow Jesus, if you're willing to follow Jesus, we have those opportunities for you. And uh, so, so some things just like read your Bible, not just because we put it on the screen, but because you want to. Would you pray, not just because a meal's been placed in front of you, but because you want to speak to your father? Would you join a Bible study? Would you download an app? Would you do something that will allow God to reveal himself to you? Because that's what he seeks, and that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to reveal the father to us so that we might know him, and not just know who he is, but we would be able to join in a relationship with him. Can we just pray together before we continue? Just, Lord, so thankful for you, so thankful for a place like King's where we can come and just talk. Just talk about uh, you, Lord, that we know that uh, um, it's a journey, it's not a destination, that we would get to know you, we would become closer to you, we would, we would just learn to dedicate ourselves to you and to your teachings and who you are. That's what it means to be a follower, someone who takes a step after his father. Just so thankful for that, so thankful that Jesus would come, not just to, to sacrifice himself for us, what an amazing thought that is, that he would come just for me, just come for me. Uh, but of course he didn't. He came for all of us. But what an amazing thought. But he wants more than that. Now that that's done, he wants to form a relationship with us. He wants to closeness with us like a father to a son. It says we're joint heirs, and it goes so much beyond just a, a decision to be joined together. It means a sharing, that we would become like Jesus in our Father's eyes. So thankful for that. So thankful. I just pray this in your name. Amen.